Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt, call sign Mailman, and Todd. Call sign Tailspin. Today we're talking about the military action-adventure film from the mid-1980s, Iron Eagle, starring Lou Gossett Jr. and Jason Gedrick. Yeah, uh, imagine my surprise when I spent all week researching Iron Eagle from Queens, only to realize that we weren't doing this podcast about a sportscaster. Um, So I had to scramble, and luckily I know this movie really well, so it'll work out. I mean, I think your first clue should have been all our previous podcasts have been about movies or TV shows. Well, sports is TV, and I figured, okay, we'll do a sportscaster, but I thought it was kind of odd to pick someone more contemporary. I figured it would be like, I don't know, Al Michaels or uh, John Madden or something, but I'm like, okay, Iron Eagle from Queens. Um, and, and then I realized you meant Iron Eagle with, with the, the Queen song, which is, yeah, that makes way more sense. Well, we could always cover uh, Mr. Eagle's father, Jack Eagle. Yes, the Fleischmann's, uh, oh, and, and Xerox, the Xerox monk, uh, brother Domenico, <laughs> brother Dominic, and uh, the Fleischmann's um, Mr. Cholesterol guy. Yes, but today we're going to do Iron Eagle. Yeah, that makes way more sense. So the story of Iron Eagle is about Tim Thomerson, who plays a United States Air Force pilot who is flying maneuvers near a Middle Eastern country that is never named outright. Actually, it is. Well, I mean, it's written. Yeah, it's written and it's in the synopsis. It's called Bilya, whatever that's. Yeah. But yeah, they never really say where it is, except it's obviously somewhere near the Mediterranean Sea. So they shoot him down and capture him. And then the movie, of course, which is focused is to his son, Doug Masters, played by Jason Gedrick, who is frustrated with the lack of going to rescue his dad from these his Middle Eastern captors. And while the government promises diplomacy, his dad is put on trial and sentenced to death in three days. So right. Doug, along with his friends, who are all children of people who work at the Air Force Base team up to gather all the information they can. You know, it's it's kind of a Goonies, Little Rascal, subterfuge type of, you know, getting information out of their parents. And right. with the aid of retired Air Force Colonel Chappie Sinclair, played by the always amazing Lou Gossett Jr. Oh, hell yeah. They managed to get themselves a couple of fighter planes and they blast off to rescue Doug's dad. Yeah, it sounds like the lightest of national security breaches. You know, it's it's whatever. Well, that's why originally the Air Force was going to be involved with the production of the film. But when they realized, no, 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 we can't. (laughs) You're portraying us basically as as, you know, a bunch of dullards and. You know, you're showing us having our airplanes stolen. So, no, we can't. uh... But, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, really the only difference between adult Matt watching this and much younger Matt watching this in the 80s was my suspension of disbelief. Sure. When I was a kid, I guess I accepted it a lot easier that, you know, these kids could run around the base and, you know, get the information and hack into the computers and, you know. Arrange for two fighter planes to be taken up. 
I mean, no, no. Okay, now, granted, this is an extreme scenario, but people have stolen some pretty interesting stuff from bases in like real life. Uh, and- not to not to save their dad from a rogue nation, but uh, they certainly have stolen some pretty interesting and pretty fantastic hardware. So it happens. Yes, they just obviously. I can't blame the Air Force for not being like, yeah, we're, we're this is cool. Well, and again, this was like early in the '80s when computers were magic, and most of us didn't still understand it you know war games was perfectly reasonable right you could assume you could hack into anything from anything and if the guy even knew what a terminal looked like without freaking out then obviously he's a computer genius and it was like every system like we said this movie opens with tim thomerson he's you know a fighter pilot pilot doing maneuvers he shot down and captured and we cut to jason getterick and Doug Masters, who's an immediately likable character. Mm-hmm. He's 16, 17. You know, first we see him talking to his younger brother and goofing with him. And then he, as he's leaving, he says goodbye to his mother and his younger sister, who's his sister's getting fitted for a dress for something. And, you know, he's quite pleasant. You know, he's not this, you know, normal, like, I gotta go. No, don't bother me with this. He's like, oh, right. you look pretty. Everything's nice. And, he gets in his car and drives away. And I think we're supposed to get that. I mean, further on, we get that he's a bit of a reckless driver. But as he pulls away, you see a car screech to a halt. Mm-hmm. That car would have hit his parked car if he hadn't pulled away. Yeah. That wasn't him being a bad driver. That was whoever was in that other car. But totally. then it cuts to him speeding towards the military base and crashing through the checkpoint and and all that, and then we get, okay, he's a bit more of a of a rebel, and then he, you know, he bumps into his two friends. And he's a maverick, we could say. He's a maverick. We could say that. Yeah. If we wanted to get sued. Sure. Well, we're not getting sued, it's just, we're just saying he's sort of a maverick kind of style kind of guy. You know, he's a ma- he's a bit of a maverick, can you say. So he meets up with his two buddies, and, you know, they're hanging out at a, you know, uh, at a burger stand drive-in type of place when that's along comes his girlfriend who's being harassed by the movies douchebag bullies who only are in this movie because it's about teenagers and every one of these movies has to have the douchebag bullies you know against the hero i was gonna make Uh, the exact same comment that's required the only purpose they have is for this jerkweed who Rides around on a motorcycle and is always doing a wheelie, so you know he's a jerk. <laughs> right. Challenges to him, uh, him to a race through a canyon where he's on his motorcycle and Doug Masterson will be in Doug Masters will be in his plane. Sure. And you know we find out that he's done this little stunt before, and the last person who went up against him got killed. Right. Smacked into plane. a mountain. But nonetheless, he's a jerk, so Doug accepts the challenge, and we get, you know, our first, you know, flying aerial stunt scene, and this is where we first meet. We don't know who he is right away, but when Doug gets to go pick up his plane for the race, Lou Gossett Jr. is working on the plane, and he's like, hey, what are you doing with my plane? He goes, well, I heard you're doing the... Race of the Snake. Race of the Snake. It's Snake Canyon... They're doing a race to the snake, and he, your fuel mixture isn't rich enough, and here you go. You'll be able to do much better. So they're doing the race, and 
Doug and his two buddies are in their own planes. All three of them each have have their own plane, and with them in the co-pilot seats are two of the jerks' friends, so that they right. can all observe the race and see who's fair and square. Well, right. of course, during the race, Doug has engine problems. Yep. And one of his friends turns to one of the jerks and says, what did you do to his plane? And the kid cracks immediately. It's hilarious how immediately he cracks. He just, right. not sure made me do it. He just told me to loosen his distributor cap. Oil oil was his oil cap. Nothing that matters. But yeah. Which Either means, way, attempted murder. But yeah. But it also makes me wonder, did this happen after Lou Gossett was working on the plane? Because right, did one of them quickly? Noticed. Right, yeah. He, did one of them they, quickly run over? Or? Yes, obviously that had to have been what happened. Yeah. Doug wins the race, Barely, and he gets yeah. out of his plane all breathless and and challenges the bully whose name was Notcher. Mm-hmm. Like you could have killed me, and Notcher's like, "What? What? <laughs> I didn't hear you." <laughs> yeah, I almost killed you to yeah. win a. And but that's it. That's the end of he punches out Notcher, and that's the end of his story. That's the end of Notcher. Yep. That's he, he's no further purpose to this movie. Yep. The rest of the movie is once Doug has found out because after this race, Doug is quickly informed about what happens to his dad and what his situation is. And for the rest of the movie is him working with his friends to. Once they find out again, once they find out the the government isn't going to do anything to get his dad released, he takes it upon himself. He makes an instant bond with Lou Gossett Jr., who he finds out is a retired lieutenant colonel in the Air Force named Chappie Sinclair. And they bond and decide, yeah, they're going to put a mission together themselves and go rescue Doug's dad. Right. Now, in, uh, just to set things up a little bit in... in um... For the government's angle on this, it's it's essentially they're dealing with a country that's it's it's a rogue nation in a way. Uh, they don't really have like they know the country exists and they know that people there are very hardline, and um, it's loosely based on Libya in the eighties uh, at the time or just a bit earlier than that, where Libya had their own recognition of where their you know international airspace headed out to, whereas the rest of the world had their own idea of where international airspace is. So what you would have is the United States or their allies kind of like flying over, you know, to, to pretty much enforce where the actual boundaries are. Well, in the case of this movie, Tim Thomerson, Doug Masterson's, Doug Masters' dad was flying, you know, as far as international law is concerned in the right spot, as far as this rogue nation is concerned, not so much. So that's why they shoot him down. And they're not really talking to the U.S. or doing anything at all because they're just kind of playing hardline about it because they don't really care. Um, they're just, you know, they're making a point is their whole deal. So they're not even really talking to anyone. And um, the State Department doesn't really know what to do about it. And that's and why that's why Doug is taking it into his own hands, because he can't wait. His dad's going to die in three days. Like they have this, you know, kangaroo court sort of trial and his dad is sentenced to death in three days. So he's like, well, I bet I can get my friends to get a whole bunch of stuff, get a, get a plane fueled up, make it look like it's going on a training mission somewhere, or make it look like it's going to just go, you know, enforce the border. I forget what they call it, but it's like, um, I forget exactly what they call it, but it's essentially that the whole concept is you're flying out there to enforce where the actual borders are. So that's their plan is to make it look like this is going to be some training mission that Doug and uh, Chappie are going on or some sort of like, you know, 
line enforcement mission that Doug and, and Chappie are going on. And again, it's it's a little unbelievable how they put it all together, but for 1980s logic, they do a pretty good job. And again, this movie was aimed at a younger audience right. as well. Right. Um, this they is... do mention that there is an oil embargo. The United States has an oil embargo against this country as well. And this right. might be them trying to leverage to get the embargo lifted. Right. Right. It's it's loosely based on the Gulf of Sidra incident, although uh, no Americans were shot down. In fact, they shot down Libyan airlines, but it was for basically the same uh, airplanes rather. But it was basically the same reason. It was, um, you know, again, it was it was Libya saying, nope, this is where our borders lie. And the rest of the world saying, not not so much. Um, you're not going to do that. And, you know, there was so there was some quite ten- there's quite a bit of tension there in the early 80s. And this movie sort of plays on that. Like, what if someone had been shot down? What would we have done next? Yes. And, and as we said, you know, these are all Doug and his friends are all Air Force brats. They all right. live on the base. They have access to the base and all their parents are in the military and they use those connections to, you know, get access to computers, get access right. to overhead maps, you know, basically tricking their parents into various things like, oh, yeah, I'll take this over to the general for you. Right. Or, oh, I can fix your computer for you and, and, and all sorts of things. Right. They're just, they're just trusted. Yes. Because again, it's the middle of the eighties. These are the parent, the parents with their kids. They're all soldiers or officers. Anyway, the kid, their parents rather. Right. And they're not thinking their kids are going to sell out their country. Sure. There's no reason for them to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to, to put things into Doug's perspective, like, yeah, he's flying a Cessna at the beginning, but um, it's later established that, yes, his dad obviously is, well, it's early established that his dad is a pilot, but it's also established that his dad will sneak him onto the base and allow him to fly around the planes a little bit, and he's got tons of time in the F-16 simulator, so he more or less knows what he's doing as much as any other pilot really there, or at least that's that's what they're trying to get across to you, is like, you know, he actually does know how to fly these because he's technically done it. He's, he, he does mention he's had more flight time than several of the actual pilots in the Air right. Force. And I believe it. Hell, he stole, he stole Chappie's simulator time. Yes. Yes. And again, it's, it's, all, it's all very, I don't want to say tongue-in-cheek, but you're only supposed to, it's, it's really, you're supposed to have a heavy suspension of disbelief. This no. this movie it's not quite as crazy as Fast and the Furious, but if like if the Fast and the Furious movies are on your radar and you do enjoy them, then this movie kind of slips in sort of to there, you know. Well, the obvious comparison is to Top Gun, and sure. I like this movie at least ten times better than Top Gun. It's Absolutely, a lot, it's a lot more fun, and there's a lot more action, a that... lot more action than Top Gun, and the characters honestly are more likable. Yes, all very likable characters, except for that evil dictator in the Middle Eastern country. We don't right. like him so much. No, no. But I do want to make, I want to get uh, um, Lou Gossage Jr. character of uh, Chappie Sinclair is based on the real-life yes. General Daniel Chappie James Jr., who was the first African-American in U.S. military to reach the rank of a four-star general. He was a Tuskegee Airman who flew during World War II, and he flew missions in Korea and Vietnam. A real American hero. Absolutely. And for, was one. and for people who don't know much about the Tuskegee Airmen, um, seriously, look it up, because they didn't lose a bomber, which is incredible. Uh, the, the movie, there's 
a movie called The Tuskegee Airmen and another one called Red Tails. Yes, uh, both of are... Both both are excellent, but the story of the Tuskegee Airmen, um, regardless of what you know, again, regardless of how else you want to look into it, but just, I mean, it's incredible to not lose a bomber, um, especially during World War II. That's just that's incredible. That is an incredible feat of tremendous aviation to save the to, to save as many lives as they did. Uh, it was just amazing. A few little nitpicks I have about this movie is, like I said. I have to. You have to have a suspension of disbelief for them to be able to have pulled this off. Completely. But another thing I didn't. I, I don't think I noticed when I kid was, a lot of times during the aerial combat scenes, you'll see the missile launch and then the plane will instantly be destroyed. It was the plane like that's no, clearly a model that isn't moving. Yeah. Yes, and there was like no flight time. It was just missile launch, no. plane destroyed. Right. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the model, the explosions like are decent as far as the models are concerned, but it's it, well, it's not great because every model is stationary when it explodes. So it's yeah. But there's also a lot of real aircraft flying around because the Israeli Air Force helped with the making of this film. Yes. And the flight sequences are great. Now, this didn't bother me, but I can understand why it would bother military plane enthusiasts is that, of course, what are portraying. MIGs were not MIGs at all, but no. F-21 KFIRs. Now, yeah. you, again, for me, you could have had a Boeing 747 up there, right? called it a Russian MIG, and I would have been like, Duh, okay, right. plane's sure. all up now. But let's face it, there's obviously going to be an attraction to, of this movie. A, a good portion of this audience is going to be enthusiastic and, and know their military aircraft. So I can understand why it would bother them. Sure, sure. But it's kind of hard to get your hands on a Russian MiG in 19, in the mid-80s, you know. Um, your next best bet would be to do what they did in Red Dawn, which is a movie we should cover at some point, um, and will be one of my recommendations for this, uh, is, um, you know, when they just, like, build stuff that looks so much like the real thing that you have, like, the CIA following you. I'll bet Doug and his it's friends a true story. I'll bet Doug and his friends could have got us a couple of MIGs to, to film a movie with. <laughs> very, very maybe. But one of my one of my favorite stories about Red Dawn is that yeah, they 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 built their stuff so convincingly that um, they they started to worry people, and they started to get followed. Now let's talk about. I mean, the cast of this movie could be the Venn, a Venn diagram of you know what we enjoy. Oh heck yeah. Um, Outside of Lou Gossett Jr., who is obviously better than any movie he's ever been in. He's, I mean, he is the only mainstay in all four movies? Yes. And yeah. he is obviously mimicking some of the characteristics he portrayed in Officer and a Gentleman. Sure. But for the movie, you know, the main character is Doug Mastin, played by Jason Gederick. And he's had a perfectly fine career in movies and television. Uh, the last time I remember seeing him was in the first season of Bosch, the detective show on Amazon Prime, where he plays sure. a serial killer. Okay. But now let's get into one of his first friend, Reggie, was played by Larry B. Scott. Yep. And everybody's going to know Larry B. Scott from Revenge of the Nerds, where he played Lamar. Right. The um, Lambda, Lambda, was... Lambda, and Omega Moo. Yeah, that yes, guy. He yeah. was the... Um, well, let's just say it. He was the black nerd. Right. And there was nothing else characteristic about his character that I can remember. Oh, no, yeah, no. 
Um, he was also a bunch of people in this movie appeared in Karate Kid. He was one of them. Mm-hmm. He's a member of the Cobra Kai dojo, but he wasn't one of Johnny Lawrence's, you know, crew. He was in uh, Extreme Prejudice, where he plays part of Michael Ironside's Ghost Squad of Soldiers. That's a fun movie. That's a great, great movie. He yeah. was in Space Camp. That's a fun movie, too. <laughs> or at least so I remember. God, that was over 30 years ago. Maybe we should cover it. We probably should, and it's yeah. something similar. It, it was it was another similar movie to this time period about kids being involved in a grand adventure, and basically, yeah. you know, rescuing themselves. Right, like this is Prime Goonies time, Flight of the Navigator. Yeah, even um, Last Starfighter. Yeah, you could go on and on. Goonie, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, his other best friend Tony is played by Jerry Levine, who everybody will know from. Wolf, Breakfast Club and oh, sorry. That's John. That's not Judd Nelson. No, no. It's Jerry Levine. I don't oh, think okay. he looks that much like Judd Nelson. He looked a little he, bit like it to me, but he played Michael J. Fox's best friend Styles in Teen Wolf. Yes. And Doug's girlfriend Katie is played by Melora Hardin, and everybody knows her as Jan Levinson in The Office. And Doug's sister. And Doug's sister? Yeah. I don't get the reference. Doug's sister, Joni? Isn't it Joni? No, no. I'm going still talking about Melora Harding. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Melora Harding was also the late Trudy Monk in the Monk TV series from USA mm-hmm. starring Tony Shalhoub. Um, now sense. you're you're getting to Joni. That wasn't his sister. This was one of the other girls that helped him um, gather information. She's the one that spills the drink on her dad. Oh, yes, you're right. I'm confusing names. Yes, that Joni is played by Shawnee Smith. Yes. You'll know Shawnee Smith from the Saw movies where she was um, Saw's Apprentice. Uh, she was also in the Blob remake. She's the hero of the Blob remake. That's such she a was movie. also in the TV show Becker starring Ted Danson as a curmudgeonly doctor in New York. Uh, she played his secretary. Now, we've also got um, Milo, who wasn't one of so much as... He's got a big part in the movie. He's used, he's the biggest liaison between Doug and what's going on with his dad. That's Robbie Rist, who was Oliver in the last few episodes of The Brady Bunch. Right. As well as uh, he's a musician who did music for the Sharknado series of movies I forgot about that I totally forgot about that and um, go ahead well now for the bully the bully's notcher the the main jerk was in Night of the Comet he was the boyfriend at the beginning Yep. he played the boyfriend in the beginning and his first toady Brillo um, was played by Tom Fridley who was court in Friday the 13th Part 6. As oh, really? well as he was in uh, Summer Camp Nightmare. And he was okay. also in Karate Kid. Okay. Was he one of the Cobra Kai? I don't believe he was. I think he was one of the friends of the uh, friends that uh, Ralph Macchio briefly has at the beginning of the movie. 
He oh, okay. could have been Cobra Kai. I, I, I can't. I, I, I haven't seen. I was trying to find him in Karate Kid. I couldn't. So maybe it seems maybe it isn't Kai. Okay. But we've also got um, Rob Garrison, who was the other Toady, and he was a member of uh, Johnny Lawrence's crew in Karate Kid. Right on. Um, very quickly, going back to uh, Notcher, uh, is it Michael Bowen? Um, Michael Bowen. Yeah. People might know him as he's like he's Uncle Jack. He's the leader of the gang that uh, Walter White gets mixed up with at the towards the end of Breaking Bad. Yeah, there you go with that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Doug's younger brother is Robert Jane, who was also known by his screen name of Robert Jacoby. Yeah, uh, the Jacoby brothers. So you would have seen him in Tremors and Tremors Three, yep. as the obnoxious kid. And then, of course, we have. Tim Thomason as Doug's dad, who was Jack Death in the Trancers series, yes. as well as so many other uh, He was in Uncommon Valor, where he also participated. Well, he's rescued in, in um, right. Iron Eagle, but in Uncommon Value, he's part of a rescue team trying to rescue American POWs after the Vietnam War. Right. Good movie, that's, too. That's also a great movie. Yes. I mean, just this, I mean, we've this is, like I said, it's the center of a Venn diagram, this cast. And Common Valor, just to make sure I'm thinking of the right one. Is that the um, Gene Hackman one? Gene Hackman, yes. yes Gene okay. Hackman, Fred Ward, yep. uh, okay. Red Brown, a bunch of uh, Robert Stacks in there as well. Okay, yep. But, but, you know, this is, I mean, we've also got, I almost forgot, Chino uh, Fats Williams, who plays oh, Slappy. Yeah. There's, there's a scene where Doug and, and Chappie are in a restaurant and Slappy, who owns the place, comes over and talks. Well, Chino Fats Williams was in Weird Science as one of the bar patrons when they go to that um, kind of rough nightclub at the beginning <laughs> when they first make Jennifer. He calls her up every night on the, on the telephone. But yeah, Je- that scene. Uh, He's the one with the really raspy, deep voice. Yes. Yeah. You got to. Sp- I shouldn't do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 but uh, yeah, same same guy, right? And Weird Science is obviously great. That's something we'll cover too. But all the scenes for the movie, even before they go on their mission, all the scenes of them, you know, showing you how the kids go about getting the information is all fun. It's very mm-hmm. entertaining. Yep, uh, they're all likable characters, you know. Um, and, and then we got to, of course, talk about this is another movie with a fantastic soundtrack. <laughs> it's a fun soundtrack, and with Queen, Queen's part of the soundtrack. You put King Queen Kobe's. on your soundtrack; it's a good movie. It's just how yeah. it works. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those soundtracks that, um, oh, what's the word? Is it uh, diegetic? I'm Where not sure. The, what you mean. The, the, the term for it is, I, I believe the term is diegetic. It's when the the music source is within the movie itself. Gotcha. Okay. Like it's the, the music, Doug plays music on his little. Um, he's like Velcro uh, t- tape recorder. Yeah. Yes. He's got a tape player that he has Velcro to his, his leg. So all the, all the movie, uh, all the music you hear, the cast is the, the characters in the movie are listening to as well. Right, you're listening to his literal mixtape, his like yes. Flyin' Jams mixtape. Now that's what I call Flyin' 1986 or whatever. Yeah, and, and you know that they're old enough to rock and roll. Oh sure, 
on the sure. road of the gypsy. And heck, you even have um, you even have the great timeless "We're Not Going to Take It" by Twisted Sister on the track. Yes, I mean this is just a fantastic just... '80s soundtrack. Uh, everything about this movie pretty much works for me. Like I said, this is oh, a yeah. nitpicks, but I haven't seen this movie probably in about. It's been over 30 years since I last watched it. I remember it enjoying it as a kid. I popped it in. I watched it again. I enjoyed it just as much. It's it's super tropey, but it nails all of its tropes really well. Like and it's very it's a very comfortable movie. It's a comfy movie, you know. And and then when we get to the actual rescue mission, where Doug and uh, Chappie get in their planes and take off flying, there's there's the sense of they're going into danger. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a little scene where Chappie shows Doug uh, a, a book with um, like a scrapbook showing him the pilots he once trained and flew with who were all killed in combat. Right. And, you know, Doug says, look, I'm ready. But even if I'm not, you know, who knows? They right. thought they were ready. Maybe they weren't. Who is ready to, to get to go die? Right. Probably no one, but he's got to rescue his dad. Right. Chappie. Not do it. Right. Chappie is rightly tortured by the guys that he led into combat during the Vietnam era. And um, every single one of his friends, every single one of the, of the pilots he was with, all about Doug's age, um, maybe even younger, maybe slightly older. But any, anyway, every single one of them died. So all, that's really all Chappie can think about is like leading yet another kid off to his death. One who's just saying he's ready, he's ready. And how could he be because of all the horrible ways that they, they, they died? And Doug is like, I have a feeling pretty much every single person who died in combat felt this way. Or at least, you know, many did. And why why would I be any different? Like, I have to save my dad. Like, this is this is it, you know? So it's it's very interesting. It's it really is interesting seeing it come from both angles like that. There's there's Doug who's like all he can think about is his one singular focus because he doesn't really have much of a choice. Whereas you know, um, uh, Chappie is kind of like I you know this kid might just die and he just gets shot out of the sky and I don't know if I want to do this again. And you know, so they go on their um, one mission. Yes. And you know, you get aerial combat. They're taking out ground targets. Uh, it's just, it's very entertaining. You know, it, it, it's, they, they had it all planned out because like I said, they got satellite maps. So they knew where there were anti-aircraft guns that they needed to avoid and to take out. Right. And this was Chappie's job was like planning, not necessarily rescue missions, but rest, but planning flight missions anyway. So Chappie, Chappie was the one who looked at all the intelligence and figured out their plan and all that stuff. Not and like a bunch of kids. You know, not only did it show you, show us them getting all this information, but it shows Chappie planning the mission. Right. And trying to not get them killed. It. Yes. So this isn't all, I mean, it was all done within three days. It is the by the seat of your pants mission, but it was meticulously planned out. And right. I, I, I saw. In, well, including uh, training. Including training. Like they even did it. They had a chance to do some dog fighting against each other um, and, just and, to make sure Doug could do it. And shows that Doug kind of needs to have his music playing yes. to keep his rhythm. Right. So there's um, basically, I, when I was looking up information on this movie, one of the things I saw on both IMDb and on Wikipedia was that 
one of the reasons the script got approved was it reminded one of the producers of a, of a Western. Yes, a John Wayne Western, which I totally can see that. I totally yes, can see that. Yes, this is definitely totally. could, can be compared to one of those, I got to avenge my pa. Totally. I got to go find uh, a seasoned gunfighter who totally. will train me in the ways of the gun, and I will go avenge my pa. Totally, because this, this movie didn't do well, and much of the criticism was exactly like how un- implausible the movie was, but one of the few good reviews was like, hey, it kind of reminds me of an old John Wayne Western. I'm like, yeah, this guy gets it. Yeah, I mean, it, again, it, when, when comparing it to Top Gun, as far as realism, it's Top silly Gun as hell. has it. And yeah. Top Gun has it all, all over this movie. But as a fun bit of action-adventure entertainment, especially when it was aimed at a younger audience to begin with. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, heck yeah. I enjoy it more. I'm with you. I enjoyed it more. And of course, you know, they, they succeed in their mission. Chappie shot down. You, you, you assume he's killed, but to their, their credit, they show that, nope, he ditched over the Mediterranean. He had to dog paddle until an Egyptian fishing vessel picked him up. But while Doug has to, basically fly solo for a good portion of the, the rescue. They wisely, sagely had um, Chappie Sinclair survive. And again, in this four-movie series, he is the one regular character throughout them all. Right. And one of the cooler sequences, because they have to get Doug alone in order to increase the tension, right? So Chappie has to you know, take off and he ultimately gets shot down. But um, one of the really neat things they did in order to keep Chappie sort of in the movie was there's a scene earlier on where Chappie's like recording a tape. And basically he recorded it on the off chance that he wasn't able to make it all the way for Doug so he could still give him some like coaching via this tape, tell him what to do, you know, what to happen, when to climb, you know, what to keep an eye on, that whole thing. It was really neat. I I love that touch. It it keeps his calm. It it helps boost his confidence. It's a really cool touch to the movie. It reminds him of what to do. You know, it's, it's almost like if he was Obi-Wan and talking to masters from the life, you know, use the force, Doug. What? I'm in yeah. the Hades bomb. Use the Hades bomb. <laughs> right, right. Because... Like this movie, this movie doesn't go so far as to be straight up like, well, you have to launch these missiles into these very specific rates. We have the second movie for that. This this movie doesn't do that. The, he's um, he's equipped with this. The was called the Hades. Was the Hades bomb? It's basically which, napalm. Yeah, yeah. It's basically it's where you could drop it and and have this huge wall of fire. Right. separating him and his dad so he could land, pick up his dad, and, and take off. I mean, it's and, it's made up for the movie, but it's effectively napalm from, from what it does. What also is great is the, the evil commander of the, yes. the foreign military orders the people to drive through the flames, and those guys do it. Mm-hmm. And they drive, and they basically kill themselves driving through flames, and later when he's all upset, he's like, I want you to do this if there are any, you know, if there aren't any, you know, cowards. I'm like, well, anybody who wasn't a coward drove into the flames <laughs> right. no orders. So if you only got cowards left, that's your fault, buddy. Right. Right. And, of course, the evil um, leader of the country is also a pilot. So he gets in a plane and has to, there's, of course, a face off between him and Doug. A dog Darth, yeah. in, in, in the air. And, 
I have you now and all that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, this is just I, I just had a whole lot of fun watching this movie again. It's it's so, a movie. So, it's a movie with a very high floor because, again, it's it's super tropey. Like, if you were to watch this movie and were able to predict just about everything that happens before it happens, then good on you because you're right. But it again, it just does it really well. It it's, it's it serves you well. This this movie serves up everything you expect, and it's you know like the Big Mac that you might get at McDonald's or whatever. It serves it up just it serves it all up just right. Yeah, it's fun. You're munching popcorn. You're sipping yeah. your soda. You just and and you just sit back and you're relaxed. And, yep. You know, well, you know, but it, it's it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I remember as a kid enjoying um, Iron Eagle 2 even more than this one. Agreed. And watching it again, I still enjoy Iron Eagle 2. I, Agreed. I, and so we might as well talk about Iron Eagle 2. That's right, folks. It's a double feature. We're doing Iron Eagle and Iron Eagle 2. Yep. Now, what's significant about Iron Eagle 2 as well is this is the first movie you and I went to uh, where we saw it in the theater, but it was just you and me. Excuse you me. Know, yes. we went, uh, you know, it wasn't our parents taking us or us going with friends. This was the first time you and I went to go see a movie in a theater together, just the two of us, so you would have been... 12, 13 uh, or so. Yeah. yeah, I would have been 15, 16. You would have been, you know, thir- 12 or 13. Yep. And Iron Eagle 2 opens with Doug Masters getting killed. That's right. Yes. The sequel opens. Doug Masters had been accepted into the Air Force Academy at the end of Doug uh, Iron Eagle. And this movie opens with him on a training mission with his buddy, flying over the Bering Strait, and while they're flying around and testing out the speeds, they accidentally cross into the Russian border. They run afoul of some Russian MiGs, and Doug is shot down. And it was it's pretty surprising that the movie right. opens with the death of our hero and main character of the previous movie. And, and what we find out right away with that is Doug is going to Doug. Doug, Doug is, is going to Doug. Doug is still the same, you know, a little reckless, a little. Because it's his fault. Radio playing. Yes. It is his fault. Well, his and his pilots, I guess, but he was in charge. It's his fault. Because he did fly into Russian airspace this time, and he did break formation when they specifically told him not to. So it's his fault. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Gederick returns for an uncredited cameo. To die, yeah, which is weird, but yeah, it would be like it would be like if in Force Awakens, uh, well, no spoilers or spoilers, I guess, but they just didn't even bother to credit you know who, and he gets killed anyway. Yeah, but that wouldn't have been right at the beginning either. No, true, that's true. This is like I said, this is before the opening credits. Right, Doug is killed. Yep. So our new hero is his buddy who he's flying with, and. Chappie Sinclair returns, and the the premise here is another little Middle Eastern nation that shall remain nameless yes. has built a nuclear missile launch system, and they're going to launch some nuclear missiles at the United States and Russia. So the United States and Russia put together a co-op mission to take out this nuclear missile installation. 
Now, this is 1988, so officially at the time, it's still the Soviet Union. Yes. Yep. Uh, Chappie is put in charge of the Americans, which involves three fighter pilots and two ground, because this is going to be a joint air and ground assault. Mm -hmm. And there's a Russian fellow who comes over with two Russian pilots and two Russian ground crew. Yep. And... At first, you know, you're kind of like, why did they pick these misfits? Right, especially, yeah, yeah. They don't get along. One is, you know, like we said, it's it's this new character named of Cooper, who was flying with uh, Doug and obviously has a deep mistrust of Russian pilots because they blew up his friend in the myth, uh, at the beginning of the movie. And who do the Russians send along? But the pilot that didn't shoot Doug down but was flying in that squadron. Mm-hmm. And it's soon revealed that, well, you know what? Neither Russia or United or, or the United States military high command want this mission to work. Right. They're set up to fail. Right. Which is why you end up getting like, um, you know, again, one of the guys, one of the ground guys, is clearly a guy who probably shouldn't be in the military much longer. I mean, he's kind of out of shape. Um, you, you know, and that's when you realize, oh, these guys were purposefully picked to fail. And I believe they even point out that he was um, technically in the reserves at this point. He was an right. ex-Army Ranger. Right. Um, played by uh, Maury Chaikin, who He's you may He's remember. Really he was also in War Games. Do you remember who he was in War Games? No, but I should. Mr. Potato Head. Mr. Potato Head. Oh, I do now. (laughs) This guy got to share the screen with the great Eddie Deason. Yes, he did. That's right. That's right. Okay. I was going to say, I I was going to guess that next. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I would definitely do on that move. Part of the mission also involves them having to fly through a trench. Like a, oh, jeez, what movie? Well, I'm sure I'll remember what movie I'm thinking of. What, what was the pilot, that? The da- Was it Dan Busters? Yeah, Dan Busters. Dan Busters, that's yeah. it. Yeah. One of the pilots has claustrophobia when flying. Why was he put on the mission? Again, we find out they were set right. up to fail. Right. So we get, so this is another one of those 80s tropes of the, um, slobs and misfits finally right. coming together, uh, putting their hatred aside because, of course, neither of them would trust each other. Although uh, Chappie and the Russian um, officer in charge both get along well and are trying to get this mission to go off without a hitch. So the, the mission is set up as the ground team has to go in to take out a radar station that will that provides guidance for the anti-aircraft yes so that the pilots can then fly in the american pilots will fly through the trench they will have to fire a missile through an air vent that's i don't know about six meters like three two meters, meters two meters, two meters we'll call it two meters yeah um, the size of like an alligator i'll say yeah i mean if you can bullseye an alligator or a Maybe a swamp rat. I've heard swamp rats are rather large. They're not they... much bigger than two meters. If you could sure. bullseye those, maybe. Oh, yeah. And then the Russian MiGs will provide 
higher altitude air cover for them while they do the trench run. So, right. So the fighters, they'll worry about the fighters and the other guys will worry about the towers. Yes. They have to fire. They have to get down into that trench, maneuver down that trench and only a precise hit will send Mm -hmm. a missile into that shaft and take out the whole nuclear installation. Now, the benefit to them doing it is the fallout will be contained just to this missile base. Whereas if bombers come in from Russia and America, which is what the higher-ups of the military really want to do, there'll be a huge amount of fallout, and it'll irradiate a good portion of the Middle East. Right. Thousands of innocent people, and then wherever the fallout lands, yeah. But yes, too many members of the military high command don't want to cooperate with the other. So when they find this out, once again, we have the Iron Eagle theme of, well, we're going to go on this mission anyway. We've, we've been told to abort, but we're going to do it regardless. And they, against orders, they take off on their mission. Right. Now, again, a lot of likable characters, even though maybe you're not quite so likable, you still get behind them because they all do come together at the end. They're not evil. They're not evil. No. They just, they don't like each other, but they've also each been brought up in a society that totally says, look, our ideologies are just not compatible. And their higher ups are really standing tall on that. Like they want to prove that their ideologies are not compatible on a world stage and that one has to win or the other. So that's like the, the, the um, the whole point for the for the uh, I mean at least the way the movie presents it for the either the Soviet hierarchy or the U.S. hierarchy is that it doesn't work for either side if it shows that they can work together uh, yes. because the whole idea of the Cold War is that one side has to win it has to be capitalism or it has to be communism and that's it and they're they're very much trying to hold that stance whereas these guys are just trying to like stop a nuclear madman and and let's face it you and I after watching Red Dawn. We're all ready to go kill a commie. Exactly. Yeah, right, uh, right. Like the movies, yeah. The movies definitely didn't, uh, yeah. You know, we were indoctrinated almost ourselves to be like, sure. oh, those bad riskies. Right. We grew up in Reagan's America. Right. Reagan. So, and of course, there's a, um, a romance between our new hero and the one female who's a Russian pilot. And, and that's really where the two sides start coming together is the mutual attraction right. between um, Hooper and um, I don't remember her name. Yeah. I, I, yeah. What's, what's kind of interesting too about those two ideologies and, and they kind of touch upon it earlier when, um, when the Soviet Colonel comes in and he salutes the wrong guy and he's like, no, actually I'm, uh, you know, Louis Gossett Jr. Chappie. He's like, no, I'm the general. And the Soviet, the the, the Soviet, uh, you know, colonel is just like, oh, sorry, you know, I'm I'm still getting used to all the different colors that are involved in um, your, you know, in your military. Meaning, it's basically Russia is mostly white anyway. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a fairly homogenous country at that point, or you know, uh, the Soviet Union anyway. And um, but what's interesting though is that they've had female combat pilots since World War II, um, whereas the U.S. didn't have one until like another five or six years later. Well, I mean, they had. I mean, during World War II, everybody in Russia fought. 
Exactly, exactly, exactly. And women were no different. They were expected to be pilots and some of them fantastic pilots um, with extremely good combat records. But that, of course, carried through, you know, all the way into the 80s and 90s, where, where again, as, as far as uh, the United States was concerned, it was pretty much men. Men were the only pilots, combat pilots. Again, it's like the mid 90s. Same. It wasn't until 94, really, that the first woman was um, was like, you know, certified as a combat pilot. The Israeli military has had women. Yes, they have conscription as well. As well. Yeah, like um, the Soviet Union, there was conscription. So. And uh, once again, the Israeli Air Force helped in the making of this movie. And this time it's um, F-4 Phantoms masquerading as Russian MiGs. Which I'm sure they loved. <laughs> um, Calm, this was uh, the film debut of Calm Fior, who plays the um, male Russian pilot and yes. kind of main antagonist to Cooper, although again, he's just who he is. He's right, he's following orders. He's he's following he's, his dogma or whatever. Yeah. That's the other thing too, is that the, the Russians are portrayed as much more uh the Russian militaries. Yeah. Yes, stoic, follow orders, do what they do, whereas the the Americans are a bit more misfits oh, and relax and and you know well, they're the bullies. They play. They straight up play the bullies, or at least the the male pilots do. Um, oh uh, yes. play bullies. Um, um, it's except, pretty straightforward. Except for the lead pilot Marsh, who keeps saying like, "Knock it off, guys. We're supposed to be working together." Yeah, we're trying to not get a whole bunch of people killed in nuclear fire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something that something that the other guys keep forgetting. Yeah. And that's when it comes down to when towards the you know after they've done all their training and they've been told to abort. Chappie and the Russian leader bring them all together and say, all right, you know what? The mission's been aborted, so you guys want to kill each other, go ahead and kill each other. Right, doesn't gives, matter now. He gives the gun to Downs, who was the most outspoken against the you know, Russian. He gives them, go ahead, shoot him, shoot him. And of course, they don't. No, they learn to get along. They've learned that, hey, they're people too. It's like, um, if I can change, then you can change. Yes. We all can change. Yes. Of course, Rocky hadn't won the Cold War yet and defeated yet. the Russians to do this yet, but we were learning. Right. We were learning. Yes. So they go on this mission, and I'll tell you, I, I had seen this movie before, but I was still on the edge of my seat during it. I oh, yeah. Really it's really well this. done. It's a really yes. cool sequence. I love this part. Yeah. Chappie, um, Chappie, this is also the only Iron Eagle. There's four Iron Eagle films. We're not talking about the other two. We're just doing the first two. No. This is the only of the four movies that Chappie doesn't fly a plane. And well, I mean, Louis Gossett Jr. remains great in three, and I assume four, but they're not good movies. I kind of like three. Not as much as I remembered as much as I liked it, but I still kind of enjoy three. It's very cheesy. Yeah. But he's part of the ground unit where they're going in on, with uh, Russian armored personnel carrier carriers to go in to take out a radar station. And instantly the, the transport plane is shot down and they want to scrub the mission. So the American pilots are like, well, no, we're going to provide you as much air cover as possible while you try to make it back because they can see from the air that 
um, ground units of the enemy country are starting to surround them. Whereas the Russian pilots, when they're told to abort the mission and return to base, do so immediately. They follow their orders. Right. So we get some really great action sequences of the ground team trying to maneuver away and through a convoy of enemy units and fight their way free, uh, taking, you know, injuries and, and they have to... Uh, capture an enemy vehicle to keep moving because one of the Russian transport units is taken out. And as they're flying around, you know, now enemy aircraft come in and they're outnumbered in the sky, they're outnumbered on the ground when just in the nick of time, those Russian pilots decide, nope, we're in on this too. They return and help save the day. Right. And like I said, there's... There's there's a lot. I don't want to spoil a lot because this is the one I really want people to track down and see. You know, a lot of people have probably seen Iron Eagle. Maybe they haven't seen this one because it did not do nearly as well. Uh, obviously, well enough to still spawn two more sequels, but right. Um, it's just I, I really was into this one watching it again, and I I think even you know I, I'm I'm already geared up to see it another time. No, the final sequence, um, like if you weren't enjoying the movie up until the final sequence, and it's a very enjoyable movie up until the final sequence, the, the final sequence is a huge payoff. It's it's really well done. And, and we did, you know, we have, of course, joking, but it is very similar to the finale of Star Wars, A New Hope. Oh, now that you a, mention it. Where they have to do a trench run and, and, and fire a missile. Now that you mention it, yeah, like when the when the, when Calm Fiore was like, um, you know, you're you're all good, comrade. We can, you know, let's blow up this thing and return to base. It did seem familiar, you know, when he swoops they, into the last in. He really should have had that line, like Yahoo, Cobra, you're all clear. Now let's blow this thing and go home. Right. And then, of course, the movie ends with the nice spirit of Glasnost. You know, they're all friends and. The military is going to start doing an exchange program with Russian and American pilots, and you know, so it's it's you know, a, a tongue in cheek, like a very Hollywood happy ending, at least for all our you know, surviving heroes by the end of it. Oh yeah, I mean, again, this movie is no less tropey than the first one, but again, it serves those tropes really, really well. I don't necessarily have a problem with tropes. Some of my favorite movies are heavily tropey. It's if you do the tropes well, I will watch it. Like I will watch just about every zombie movie that's been made if you make a good one. This is the definitely the most serious of the two movies. Sure. And the most serious of the series. This is the most straightforward military action adventure because, you know, even though the government wants the governments want the mission to fail. It's still, you know, put together by, you know, the governments and, and all that. Right. You, you need no prior knowledge of the first movie whatsoever to see this movie, except to have maybe a little context as to the importance of Doug being shot down at the beginning. But even if you didn't, like you can piece the rest of it together. You know, Chappie's got a history, you know, that whole thing. Like, you, I, I, while the first movie is good and I recommend it, um, if only to listen to the great queen, you know, Sandra, uh, song, but um, it, you, you don't necessarily need to know anything about it to see the second one. And that's kind of I kind of like that. 
there is some exposition partway through bet- between Chappie and Cooper explaining, you know, Doug and their history with him. Yeah. Um, and and also this both movies are directed by Sidney J. Fury, who helped create the series himself. Mm-hmm. So and he actually kind of you know. I think grew as a director as well because my complaint about not really having those missile flight times and stuff are all corrected in this movie. Mm-hmm. Much better um, aerial choreography and, and, and fighting, I, I thought. Oh yeah, yeah. No, this movie this movie does everything that the first movie did, just a little bit better, uh, except for the soundtrack maybe. But it does everything the movie the first movie did, just a little bit better. Yes, highly, highly enjoyable. The best in the series, in my opinion. Easily. Easily. And just a really, really, really fun movie in its own right. It's a, it's a forgotten gem, I think, maybe because the, you know, the first movie was not hugely successful. So the second one, by extension, was not hugely successful. Um, and, I, and I suppose that's you know, a lot of the reason for the second movie. But um, if you see one, any one of these movies, then obviously, yeah, see the second one. It's, it's damn good. Well, for the Whip Bissell Awards, I'm going to give it to Larry B. Scott for the first movie. Okay. Uh, I thought he did a great job of playing Reggie with all his lines, and he's just a great actor who deserves the recognition. And with the second movie, I'm going with uh, Maury Chaykin, who played Downs, who I mentioned was also in War Games. Yes, um, I was definitely going to go with both of those guys, actually, especially Maury Chaykin. He's, he's fantastic. But a lot of good performances. Everybody gives it their all in both the movies. Oh, yeah. And what I like a lot about the second movie is basically every single character gets their own time. And there's a lot yeah. of them. There's quite a few people in the second movie. Like, there's a lot of main characters in the second movie. It's almost an yes. ensemble cast. And each each one of them gets due time. Now, they all get treated I want, very well. I want to briefly mention Ace's Iron Eagle 3. Yes. <laughs> Again, Chappie, uh, Lou Gossett Jr. as Chappie Sinclair is the only returning character. Um, it's the only movie in the series not directed by Sidney J. Fury. This one's directed by John Glenn, who directed a lot of the 80s and um, early 90s James Bond movies. And in this one, Chappie is part of an air show that flies World War II airplanes. And they end up going on again. They take the planes to go on a mission to stop a drug lord in a South American country. And it's a fun movie, but I remember when I first used to watch it earlier, when it was first out, I really enjoyed it. I saw it again recently, and it's just way goofier than I remember. It's fun if you see it. Give it a shot, but I'm not going to recommend you searching it out. What what it has and what what it does have is some great classic warplanes and Lewis Gossett Jr. Um, which I don't know if that's enough to seek the movie out, but it's enough to make you enjoy it the first time because that's the same thing that I got. It's a super cheesy movie, but the cool the cool old school warplanes and you know great Lewis Gossett Jr. do kind of carry I, it. I would actually <laughs> compare it to an episode of the Eighteen. Right. That type of... uh, Right. Uh, Ace's Iron Eagle 3 is also kind of the red-headed stepchild because Sidney J. Fury, who came back for the fourth movie, Iron Eagle on the Attack, disowns, says says Ace's doesn't count, 
and that the real trilogy is Iron Eagle, Iron Eagle 2, and Iron Eagle on the Attack. And you loved Iron Eagle on the Attack. I did not. But I do want to oh. mention that the, the biggest thing about Iron Eagle on the Attack, and like I said, he doesn't want it called Iron Eagle 4, because he considers this to be the third part of a trilogy, and sure. Aces. And again, the other one is technically called Aces. Iron Eagle 3 is the subtitle. Mm-hmm. This brings back, Iron Eagle on the attack reveals that Doug Masters is still alive. Yeah. Yeah, they, apparently this whole thing takes place in the Marvel Universe, I guess. Well, they retcon the beginning of Iron Eagle 2 by showing that he ejected in time sure. and that he'd been held in a Russian prison for, uh, you know, about eight years. Uh, the rest of the movie, I just it just feels like an after-school special. I, I can't, I really can't recommend bothering to watch it. Maybe if but, you're a completist, maybe if you want, you know, um, it's not so bad that I would say avoid it, but I don't feel it's worth giving the time to. But it is Jason Gedrick and Louis Gossett Jr. again. No, it is a different guy playing Doug Masters. Oh, it is? It's not Jason, okay. Yes, it is not Jason Gedrick. Oh, that's lame. So... That's our take on the Iron Eagle series. We love the first two. We highly recommend them both. We mm-hmm. recommend the second one even more. Todd, what else would you recommend? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Tailspin? Tailspin. Tailspin? What else would you recommend? Um, oh, again, Red Dawn. Um, well, it's, it's, it's hard, right? Because this especially... Both the, the two movies uh, almost have a different vibe to them. They definitely fit together, but the second one is more serious, I guess, even though they're both fairly serious in their own way. Um, since we're talking about both, like, I mean, to me, the you know, it would be, again, it would be movies like uh, Red Dawn and Last Starfighter kind of come to mind. Um, Last Starfighter, maybe even more directly, so. Yeah, that's that's a good one, yeah. I I remember, and I haven't seen it since it came out. It was a movie called The Rescue. Okay. And the biggest thing I can remember is it's um, it, it was similar in premise about kids going to rescue their military parents who have been held captive behind enemy lines. Mm-hmm. I don't rec- remember the movie well enough to recommend it. I just want to bring it up because it's a very similar concept to Iron Eagle. But as far as recommendations go, I got to go with Uncommon Valor. Sure. Which is, again, about a rescue mission behind enemy lines that is not sanctioned by the government, and the government tries to actually stop it. Great cast of, like we we mentioned, Gene Hackman, Tim Thomerson, um, Fred Ward, Robert Stack. It's a really, really, it's probably the best of the 80s bring our boys back movies, which of course includes Rambo First Blood Part Two and Missing mm-hmm. in Action. Mm-hmm. I also want to recommend, and I think you remember this one called Let's Get Harry. Oh yeah. With Hector Elizandro. I hope yep. I'm saying his name right. And it's about this um um I believe it's Mark Harmon, actually. I think you're right. Uh, working as a on construction in a South American country, he's helping build a dam, and an American ambassador is you know just happens to be there looking at the dam 
and they're captured by drug dealers and held hostage for ransom. And his brother and all his best friends, including the great Gary Busey, yes. put together a rescue mission to go get him. And uh, Hector Elizandro is a mercenary they hire to lead them on the rescue mission. So, yes, I remember this movie. Uncommon Valor and Let's Get Harry. Um, what about Chippendale Rescue Rangers? Does that fit? Kind of rescue would, vibe? Honestly, because of the um, airplanes, I would go with DuckTales. DuckTales, there you go. So yes, DuckTales, Uncommon Valor, Red Dawn, um, Last Starfighter, and Let's Get Harry. Yes. And you know what? If you like DuckTales, definitely check out Darkwing Duck. Oh, heck yeah. All right. Um, anything else you want to say before we get into our Magnificent Seven Degrees? No, no. I think we've covered it. All I right. think we've covered it. This is real easy for me. Go for it. Lou Gossett Jr., as we said, is also in Ace's Iron Eagle 3. Mm-hmm. Also in Ace's Iron Eagle 3 is Horse Buckles, who was yes. in the Magnificent Seven. Yep. I knew you were going to do that, so I didn't even bother. Well... The, the other way to go is Tim Thomerson was in the Magnificent Seven TV series. Oh, he was. And, you know, if that isn't enough to say, well, that's the TV series, not the movie, fair enough. Robert Vaughn was also in the Magnificent Seven TV series, and he was in the Magnificent Seven. Very good. Very good. Well, that's it for this week, folks. This is, um, I was really, I've been itching to get to this, this, these two movies for a while I'm so glad I watched them again. I'm so glad we got to them. Highly recommend them. I thank you for listening. I hope we have you back next time. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, there was one thing. I just want to apologize to Ian Eagle, who's been waiting for me to interview him for like an hour now. Um, He might have hung up by now, but uh, I really thought this episode was going to be about him. So I'm just embarrassed. Uh, So sorry, Ian. He'll get over it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, he's probably got something to watch anyway. Remember, you can find us on Facebook at TV slash Movie Rewind Asylum, which is just a fun group where we talk movies with each other. And on Instagram, you can find us on the TV slash Movie Rewind podcast or Movie Math Stories. Uh, this is Tailspin and Mailman signing out. <laughs> Hope to have you back next time. Goodbye, everyone. Hello, it's Matt here. I'm having to make another correction. I don't know why I misidentified Robert Duvall in Let's Get Harry as Hector Alessandro. It's just funny how memory works. Uh, For the life of me, I remember the mercenary in Let's Get Harry being played by Hector Alessandro when it is, in fact, Robert Duvall. Apologies to Robert Duvall and apologies to Hector Alessandro, and apologies to you, the listeners. I have screwed up again.